is small potatoes comparison to eternity and Jesus does not ask you to give up this life for the next he asks you to give up your own version your stealth styled version of this life so that he can bestow his life to you here and now and give you an eternity in the hereafter in his presence it is the ultimate greatest transaction that God wants to bestow upon us our Heavenly Father wants to give us new life He provided the way for this through Jesus' death and resurrection, giving us direct contact with Him when we accept that gift of grace. Pastor Daniel shares in today's message that in order to take on this new life, we need to give up our own version of our lives. We need to stop trying to be good enough on our own and allow Jesus to come in and transform us from the inside out. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part two of his message, God Gives. In the Bible, oil is a picture of what? The Holy Spirit. What does this teach us? That God gives the Spirit. The Lord God gives His Holy Spirit to His own kids. And this is super important. This is way more important than the oil that this widow of one of the sons of the prophets is experiencing is that God's design for you and for me, for anybody who would put their faith and trust in Jesus, is that God wants to bestow and give his Holy Spirit to you. Now, people all the time, and those of you who are skeptical here, be like, well, maybe I already have the Holy Spirit. No, you have a spirit, the breath of God, the life of God, because you're alive. But the Spirit of God is a special gift that only comes to indwell those people who believe in Jesus. Not because I said so, but because Jesus said so. And you want to have the Spirit of the living God, the third person of the one and only God, to dwell inside of you, to take up residence in your life. And God wants to give you His Holy Spirit. He actually created you to be a holy living space of the Spirit of God. But you have to simply say, I want you, God, to live inside of me. And the beauty of who the Lord is, is he is a gentleman in that way. He could just impose his spirit upon you, but he will not. He asks for an invitation. Now I ask you today, have you allowed Jesus to be the Lord of your life? And have you allowed your life to be a habitation for the Holy Spirit? Now, at this juncture, this is where the fun begins, because... If you're here, you're like, well, Fusco, I'm in church. I've been in church for, you write down your time served. And you say, obviously, I have the Holy Spirit. And I would say, maybe not. Because you know when you are filled with the Holy Spirit because God bears the fruit of his spirit in your life. Now, I've been around church long enough to know that there's a whole lot of people who hang out in church a whole lot of time, and they have no fruit bearing in their life. 
Now, I ask you that question, and I ask it in a provocative way, because I'm not God. But I'm hoping that everyone says, Lord, fill me up afresh with your spirit. And my prayer is that for some of you say, Lord, I want your spirit to bear fruit in my life. Now, right now, what happens is is there's always someone who's thinking, oh, I hope my spouse is listening right now. Now, listen, if you're thinking that, you need to say, Lord, give me ears to hear right now. It's real easy to pass the buck on this stuff, right? We need, brothers and sisters, we need the spirit of God to pull the resurrected life of Jesus out of the depths of our souls. And it doesn't matter how profoundly the Spirit of God worked through you yesterday. We all have the stories of someone who God used mightily who walked away from Jesus along the way. Yesterday's Spirit-filled experience does not ensure the life of God in your soul today. God wants to give his Holy Spirit. And he has given his Holy Spirit to us in Christ. Listen to Jesus in John 16. Verses 7 to 15. Now, I could have pulled out infinite numbers of scriptures to encourage this point. But listen to what it says. It says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. This is Jesus speaking. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they don't believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my father and you see me no more. And of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said, he will take of mine and he will declare it to you. See, Jesus said, it's better for me to go away so that I can send the Spirit who will help you, who will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, and he will take of what is mine and he will declare it to you. See, I love the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit does not want to be the centerpiece. You always know when someone's life is off kilter because the Spirit of God, it's all about the Spirit of God. No, the Spirit's job is to point you to Jesus. The Spirit is, in some ways, he's a huge billboard for the finished work of Jesus. And it's very, it happens so easily because people get into churches that are charismatic. And not biblically charismatic, but culturally charismatic. And everything's about the Holy Spirit, but there's no Jesus Christ and him crucified in the center of it. And it becomes another exercise in spiritual arrogance. It happens so easily. Right, Someone is functioning in a gift and they get puffed up spiritually. But the cross of Jesus, see, the spirit wants to take of what is Jesus and push it forward. And there's a humility that comes with it. There is, it's, some people say the Holy Spirit is bashful. I don't think it's the right picture. I think the idea is that the Holy Spirit knows that at the cross and empty tomb of Jesus is where the, all the action is. And all of the work of the spirit is now to cause the finished work of Jesus to be on display in the world. And all the gifts of the Spirit are not to make much of the gifts. The gifts of the Spirit are to make much of Jesus, and making much of Jesus is rooted in love. 
So anytime gifts are being used, not with a spirit of self-sacrificial love, then you know you got things kind of out of order. But brothers and sisters, if God gives the spirit, is your life under the influence of the Holy Spirit? The Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians uses the picture, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's kind of an odd picture, but it's the right picture because the idea of being under the influence of alcohol is actually the perfect word picture for being under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Because when you're under the influence of alcohol, the alcohol influences your character and your decision-making. Unfortunately, it's in the flesh and it's to the negative. But when you're under the influence in a similar, when your senses are now influenced by the Holy Spirit, guess what? It influences your character and your decision-making, but not towards your detriment, but towards God's glory and the blessing of humanity. And we've all seen somebody who, under the influence of some foreign substance, makes a jerk of themselves. Right? But when you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, God does something extraordinary. God brings glory out of your life that he has redeemed. My hope right now is that each one of us says, Lord, stir your spirit in me afresh. Lord, you want your spirit to be on display in my life. And that each one of us, like this woman, we would be prepared for us to be filled up to overflowing. That we would say, Lord, I don't just want a little of your spirit. I just collected one little vessel. But Lord, I want my life to be spirit-drenched. I want my speech to be spirit-drenched. I want the world that I live in and the world that I influence day in and day out to be spirit-drenched. That when someone sees us, they say, what is going on with you? What happened to you? You're so filled with light and love. You're so willing to serve. There's a humility there. And they would know that you had been with Jesus because God gives his spirit. So the first miracle points us right to the fact that God gives the Holy Spirit. Now, so that we don't stay here all day, let's go to the second story. Second miracle. This is a long, I'm going to read verses 8 to 37. So I want you, as I read this to you, and as you read along, I want you to try and place yourself in the story. It's a long narrative. I'm going to read you 29 verses. So try and allow your imagination to grab hold of the story. Try and place yourself in the midst of the story. Look what it says in verse 8. Now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shuman, or Shunem, excuse me, where there was a notable woman, and she persuaded him to eat some food. So it was, as often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. And she said to her husband, Look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Please let us make a small upper room on the wall and let us put a bed in there, a table and a chair and a lampstand. So it will be whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. And it happened one day that he came in there and he turned into the upper room and he laid down there. And then he said to Gehazi, his servant, call the Shunammite woman. And when he had called her, she stood before him. Verse 13. And he said to him, say now to her, look. 
You have been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She said, I dwell among my own people. So he said to her, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, actually, she has no son and her husband is old. So he said to call her. And when he had called her, he stood at the doorway. Then he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. But the woman conceived and bore a son. And when the appointed time had come, of which Elisha had told her, and the child grew, now it happened one day, verse 18, that he went out with his father to the reapers. And he said to his father, my head, my head. So he said to a servant, carry him to his mother. When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door upon him and went out. And she called to her husband and said, please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. And he said, why are you going to him today? It is neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. And she said, it is well. Then she saddled a donkey and said to her servant, drive and go forward and do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. And so she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. So it was when the man of God saw her afar off that he said to his servant, Gehazi, look, the Shunammite woman, please run now to meet her and say to her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your child? And she answered, it is well. Now when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, let her alone. For her soul is in deep distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. So she said, did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, get yourself ready and take my staff in your hand and be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not answer him, but lay my staff on the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Now Gehazi went on ahead of them and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore, he went back to meet him and told him saying, the child has not awakened. Verse 32, when Elisha came into the house, there was the child lying dead on his bed. He went in, therefore, and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. And he went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself out on the child, and the flesh of the child became warm. He returned and walked back and forth in the house and again went up, stretched himself out on him. Then the child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes, and he called Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite woman. So he called her, and when she came into him, he said, Pick up your son. So she went in, fell at his feet, and bowed to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. Now, this is a powerful story, isn't it? Now, I want you to notice a few things. I want you to notice first that all of this begins with the hospitality of this woman. This woman notices Elisha coming and going. And every time Elisha would come, she realizes that this is a man of God. And she says, I want to bless this guy. 
So it begins with some meals, and then she says to her husband, says, hey, listen, maybe we should prepare an upper room for this guy, that when he's in town, he has a place to crash. He has a place to be taken care of. And a relationship builds based off of an act of hospitality. Now, I think this is important, because I think in the generation that we live in, hospitality is kind of in short supply even though it's something that God values very highly. And all through our Bibles, we find hospitality is a context for which God often works. If you think of Abram, when he was sitting in his tent in the heat of the day and a bunch of angels showed up, he just didn't know it. And God worked in an amazing way. We're reminded in the New Testament, let us show hospitality, for some have unwittingly entertained angels. We live in a culture that has kind of lost its heart for neighborliness, kindness. All this begins with an act of hospitality to a stranger. But over time, as Elisha's staying here, he finally tells his servant, Gehazi, hey, I want you to go speak to the Shunammite woman. I want you to ask her, what, what can I do for you? Can I go, can I advocate for you? Can I go talk to someone? She's like, no, no, I'm good. I live amongst my people. But then Gehazi says, but, you know, her husband's old and they've never had any children. Now, again, in that culture, if you lose your husband, you have no children. A widow was destitute. It was unlike today where a woman could work on her own and it's a different culture. It's amazing. So Elisha says, well, listen, you know, this time next year, you're going to have a child. And she says, whoa. She's like, I didn't ask for this. You know, you can imagine for her in that culture. I mean, even in our culture today, when women struggle to conceive, it's a huge situation. And there, unfortunately, there are many of you going through that kind of a situation right now where things just haven't gone the way you hoped it would. And it becomes a great challenge. And she's just like, hey, I'm not asking for this. And he's like, I know. But it's going to happen. It's another one of those miraculous biblical births. Right? But sure enough, over the course of time, she has the baby, the baby grows, and then as this young baby becomes a young man, he goes on out with his dad into the fields, and sure enough, he says, my head, my head, some sort of heat stroke or something, and so the father sends the son back to his mother, and the mother embraces the son, and that son sits on her lap and on her knees, and then dies. I mean, just imagine this. Unfortunately, some of you understand what this feels like. Loses a a child. And so what does she do? She lays him on the prophet Elisha's bed. and She goes to see the prophet. Do you notice the repeated phrase all the way along out of her mouth? What does she keep saying? It is well. Hardly. Unless this woman understands something that we have a tendency to forget. She doesn't tell her husband her son's dead. Why? Because she doesn't believe he's going to stay dead. And sure enough, she... goes out towards where Elisha is, and literally the prophet realizes that she's coming and sends Gehazi out, and you know, she just blows right past Gehazi. She's not stopping for this dude at all. She passed go, she collected her 200 bucks, she was moving and grooving. She was not stopping. And she lands there, she grabs his feet, she pleads. And Elisha is like, wow, the Lord didn't show me all that went on here, and says, go ahead, Gehazi, take my staff, you can go heal him. And she's like, no, 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 you're going. I like that. This woman has got a bold faith. She believes that God wants to do something amazing. She has this bold faith. And so sure enough, Gehazi tries his little thing with the staff. It's not working. And then sure enough, Elisha gets there. And Elisha goes through these series of prophetic acts where he lays on top of 
this dead child laying in his bed. Now, no doubt he learned this from the prophet Elijah, because if you go back to 1 Kings 17, the same thing goes on with the widow from Zarephath. The apostle Paul uses the same way of doing this in the book of Acts when he preached such a long-winded sermon that the guy fell out the window and died. That's why we don't got windows in the sanctuary, my friends. <laughs> Pastor Bill was smart. You know, there ain't no windows. There's actually, there's one upstairs, but we keep those things barred shut so the video guys don't fall out when we go along. And sure enough, this young man comes back to life. What a miracle, huh? What does it teach us? It teaches us that God gives life. God gives life. God's plan is not only that we would have life, but we would have life more abundantly. God wants the life of Jesus resurrected. He wants that to be the life that we walk out every single day. And I'm here to tell you, my friends, this life is not all that there is. This life is small potatoes comparison to eternity. And Jesus does not ask you to give up this life for the next. He asks you to give up your own version, your self-styled version of this life, so that he can bestow his life to you here and now and give you an eternity in the hereafter in his presence. It is the ultimate, greatest transaction that God wants to bestow upon us. He's saying, look, the life you want to live on your own, it's cool, but it's not all that you were created for. It's the best you can come up with. And the problem is, it's the best that you can come up with. See, God has a life that he wants to share with you in Jesus. See, he wants to give you a life unlike anything you ever dreamed. And part of that understanding is to realize that this life has very specific boundaries to it. But the life in the hereafter has no boundaries to it. Now, don't get me wrong. As someone who's lost someone very close to me, I don't want to minimize our struggles with the unknown of the end of the boundaries of this life. But when we remember that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed in the midst of the children of God, it changes the way we view the boundaries of this life. This life is temporary, but life in God's kingdom is eternal. When Jesus gives you his abundant life by the power of the Spirit, you realize that you get to live heaven on earth now so that you can, when it's that time, when that boundary, that last breath, whatever God's designed for us, that's just a step into eternity. See, God's inside men and inside women realize that there is one, we are one breath away from eternity, and that's where the real party is. And I'm not saying, believe me, the boundaries of this life are challenging. God didn't create us to have boundaries this side, but we got them because of sin. But Jesus conquered that. And when you're God's inside man or inside woman, you always realize that Jesus conquered death. Jesus is God did incredible works in the Bible, from miraculously multiplying a woman's resources to raising a boy from the dead. Today's message showed us just how much God wants to give. Pastor Daniel shared that God wants to give to each of us as well. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram have become a regular part of our everyday lives. 
And we want to be sure to encourage you to check out Pastor Daniel's Facebook page, Twitter feed, and Instagram. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow the links. Pastor Daniel shares two-minute video messages throughout the week on his Facebook page. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow Pastor Daniel. God has been doing some amazing things at Crossroads. One of the things that I'm the most stoked about is our new campuses. We launched a brand new campus in Southwest Portland. So if you're in the area, I'd love to invite you to come and join us for worship Sundays at 10 a.m. Our online campus is reaching the entire world. And we'd love to have you join us on Sundays at 9, 11, or 1 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. at CrossroadsLive.tv. Now here's Josh with what's coming up on our next episode of Jesus is Real Radio. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Daniel shares two more miracles that God worked through the prophet Elisha. These miracles will point us to God's ability to wipe away the debt of sin, as well as God's desire to bless us abundantly. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.